I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, welcome to Dungeon Deep Dive. And be careful, there is a false cross. Hello and welcome back to Dungeon Deep Dive. My name's Tully Grimley and with me are my lovely co-hosts... Danae Bags And Lachlan Hoy, but only sometimes. <laughs> oh, God. That was just snatched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Tully gestured to me and Danae just like <gasps> oh, jumped in front of the, the mic and flipped me off. Oh, that's going to be the name of my slutty podcast show. Snatched? Snatched. Over your what? I want to make a podcast that's just me revealing my horrendous, like, lesbian love stories. Oh. Slash sex stories. Okay. Now I want to call it Snatched. You definitely Because of can all the love that. that was snatched away from me and also other reasons. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. Oh, dear. Yeah, so what are we talking about today? Fucking astronomy. If you'd, if you'd read the, the title of the episode, Tully, you idiot. Oh, God, I forgot. I forgot God, to Tully, read the title do you of the fucking episode. research. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Tully, come on. We're recording. You should know what the episode's about. Astronomy. So, astronomy was in the medieval period, actually even, well, even more well-defined than even astrology is today. Um, in fact, it's weird how much people knew. Um, going back a really long time. Yeah, the stars... You, you think about it as something like, we only just touched space, really. But mm. we knew about it for a long time. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the Library of Alexandria had accurate record, and this was some of the actual knowledge that did escape the library. Are we just going to mention, like, the Library of Alexandria yes. in, like, every episode because we're so, like, cut off about it? Yes. Absolutely. Um, they, they, st- they had record of exactly how big the Earth was from calculations of distance from the moon and the sun to, I believe it's to 10% accuracy, which is amazing. Yeah, exactly. And we could just figure that out with triangles and the the, the stuff in the sky. Sometimes I think people were smarter then than we'll ever be again. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah, it's, and the reason that we knew, I think so much as we did was because of a few different things. So I'll just kind of set them out to kind of lay the groundwork. Yeah. The first thing is there was no distinction between like social science and natural science. So everything was just as important as each other. Mm. Um, Things like astronomy and everything um, would relate just as much to maths as poetry. Um, Would relate just as much to maths as something like poetry would. Everything was kind of interrelated and it kind of created this culture where everything that you could know was worth knowing because it was all a part of the whole collection of knowledge that could be yeah we were despite theories of knowledge being you know a little bit more you know you learn this thing and then you learn this thing it was very constructivist the way it handled things was knowledge is built upon other knowledge and it's all sort of holistic it was all very holistic Absolutely. Completely holistic. Um, And that doesn't really change until pretty late. And by then, like, astronomy and stuff had had its roots. So, like, everyone kind of knew astronomy um, surprisingly accurately in the Middle Ages. Mm. Um, So it kind of starts with, um, obviously, there were, like, the original kind of, like, prehistoric writings about, um, like, nature and stuff. Um, I mean, the first, one of the first things we know about the written language is the construction of a pretty large library um, in an ancient civilization. So um, they were kind of trying to do 
some like preliminary like scientific study and stuff. Um, mm. It was usually, from what I could tell, it was not as much about um, completely accurate like astronomical calculations and more about like cata- uh, cataloging observations of things to kind of like mm-hmm. build the patterns over time. Yeah. Um, which obviously is what science is now, but it's that was the attitude towards science as well as what science was, which I feel isn't the case anymore. I think we've developed a lot of arrogance about the scientific method. The fact that we've yeah. refined the method, it's it's brought a lot of, and you were talking about this before we started recording, uh, it's brought a lot of gatekeeping and knowledge. Yeah. Well, actually, um, yeah. Well, that, actually, that, that brings me really nicely into um, after prehistory, we get to like the Babylonian Empire and the Mesopotamians and stuff. And they didn't distinguish between um, science and magic even. Like, spiritualism was just as scientific as everything else. Um, We'll talk about it a little bit more in our episode next week, but um, the structured rules for every went from everything from mathematics to how you divine the future based on the organs of an animal that you cut out. Like, exactly. There were strict rules for... Everything, because they realized that there were patterns in the way that everything worked. We all came from the same nature, and so we should all follow the same rules. And so the civilization started to catalog them. Um, the sorts of the main kind of groups that were doing that at first was yeah the Mesopotamians and the uh, Babylonians. Um, kind of early on, developed like the beginning of kind of what we would consider actual kind of scientific study in some sense. Mm. Um, Like they were writing things down in like medical textbooks and stuff. Um, They were like really cataloging their science. Um, And I won't distinguish a whole lot when I talk about science generally between astronomy and other science, just because again, like it was very holistic. They didn't see it as different things beyond this one is about stars and this one's about trees. Yeah. I mean, I I mentioned it last episode when, when the Greeks had science, maths was as related to astronomy as it as poetry was. It was just they were all science. Yeah, and it, yeah, it comes it comes from this attitude where it was kind of prolific throughout the ancient world that like knowledge was all good and knowledge belonged to the person who thought of it. And as long as someone had a good idea, that idea was worth listening to. Mm. Um, so it means that you have these people who were like spending their entire lives. dedicating their entire lives to scholarship. And, yeah, if you spend all your your days talking about the deepest aspects of philosophy, then that will make you ask questions about, well, why are the stars doing those things? And why is this doing that thing? And whatever. So they kind of just got to write about whatever they thought about because nothing was its own thing. It was all just writing. It was all just learning. Um, And you see that through... um, And that's not just with... uh, like the Babylonians and stuff, Um, because the Babylonians were starting to write their kind of observations of the way things moved. Um, They didn't seem to have too much of, um, like, mathematical, like, structures. Um, It was more kind of observational. But, like, there are a few things. Like, there's, um, for instance, a cuneiform tablet uh, that dates back to the 18th century BC um, that hints that maybe the Mesopotamians actually knew um, the Pythagorean theorem uh, a millennium before Pythagoras wow. um, ever came along because they Jeez. had like things in like Pythagorean triplets. Um, huh. It's funny how we, and again, recurring pattern, uh, how we attribute so many things to Western or Western values that we've co-opted. I mean, a lot of what we have is founded on Greek schools of thought. Yeah. Um, that we just think of that as being a Greek thing, that the, the Greeks invented maths. But really, there was a lot of stuff discovered earlier on and then just rediscovered later. Mm. And I know it, or I, adapted or yeah. built upon. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I know I talked about it a lot last week, so I'm not going to, like, harp on about it too much. But, yeah, it was, a, it was a time where, like, the things that we wrote and the places that we kept that knowledge was supposed to be all of the knowledge. And that was the attitude for forever. So all of that stuff was more someone trying to take and explain the things that we already knew rather than trying to come up with something completely new out of whole cloth, which is kind of how we think about it more now. But yeah. just not what happened. Um, it was, all of this was like a process and everyone 
recognize that until surprisingly recently. Um, the Egyptians also around that era were kind of were, were doing their nasty thing. I mean, everyone knows how scientifically ad- advanced the ancient Egyptians were. Oh, um, yeah, they discovered so much and did so much with the Egyptians knowledge they knew. Egyptians were bosses. Yeah, well, I mean, they uh, their documents, like I'm just reading here, apparently their documents about the brain form like the beginnings of modern neuroscience. Like, oh yeah, it's insane. Um, and yeah, they knew a lot about maths. Um, they didn't talk as much about astronomy specifically, but they had all of the like well-defined kind of mathematical rules that would help them build something like the pyramids, um, which then obviously spreading throughout the world and combining with like astronomical kind of observations helps build like what we have now. Um, and then you've got the the ancient Greeks. The, like the Greco-Roman society is kind of the other like ancient group that helped mm. build this. Um, so we, we know a lot more about them, obviously, because like they were the precursors to what is modern Western civilization. Um, so a lot of their stuff is a lot better preserved. Yeah. Um, but like before Socrates, for instance, people are just kind of like, we're just starting to like kind of ask those questions about like how things worked and like, what was the order of everything? Yeah. Um, so then you have these, it starts with uh, Thales, um, in, who was born in 640 BC, stubbed the father of science, who was basically like, maybe we should come up with answers that aren't just the gods. Maybe we should try and take a look and see what the reason that it, things are happening is. And it was kind of this shift away from um, seeing into this like idea of things being like holistic away from things being just from God and became kind of from God and from us. Like the ancient Greeks still believed that for instance, Thales thought that earthquakes, which surprisingly, surprisingly right in this, actually earthquakes were caused because um, land floated on the ocean and the shift in the water made them rub together and caused earthquakes. Um, Now he definitely didn't think that that was all it was. Thales definitely thought that that was the gods doing, but he thought that the action wasn't just the gods moving stuff. And that kind of sees this shift away from um, these like very directly interfering kind of divine figures into more kind of passive divine figures. That, passive guiding and overseeing yeah, figures. That kind of like control the thread of the universe without physically manipulating it. Hmm. So that kind of leads into obviously like the Socratic kind of era and the things that came after that. Like Aristotle, for instance, his like deductive reasoning uh, methods that he wrote about before. Yeah, sorry, it was Socrates that didn't write. Aristotle did write. Mm-hmm. Um, that Aristotle wrote about form like the beginning of the scientific method. Yeah, and it was, it was kind of getting to a point where, um, and you see it especially in Greece, India, and China around this kind of like ancient period where they were getting to a point where they could really well predict pretty much anything. Because you had this kind of, like, foundation of uh, maths and stuff coming from um, from a lot of... Especially from kind of, like, the African continent and kind of, like, the Arabic world. Yeah. Um, and then you have this attitude, this really, like, well-defined kind of attitude towards building knowledge that kind of comes from the Greeks, from, like, Aristotle's, like, deductive reasoning, which yeah. was always present but was really well explained by the Greeks and it kind of, like, really spread it. Oh, yeah, I, um, should, I should take a moment just here. When, when Lachlan says, um, you know, the Arab world was really good at maths, they were so good at maths that we used the numbers that they came up with. Well, Preach. actually... Uh? India came up with the numbers first. The Arabic nu- the Arabic numeral system um, introduced, I believe, the decimal and a couple of other things. Um, okay. I think the Arabic numbering system also introduced zero at some point. Um, that came from when it became like the Arabic numeral system. But it was, yeah, it was India that came up with the kind of first things of that. The precursors to yeah. what we now know as the Arabic numbering system. Yeah, it was like, it was refined later on um but it came from like that region um there you go and so then you kind of take all of that and then you also take china which was china's culture was a little weird because 
uh, they, from what I can tell, had more of an attitude to, of like, you can't know everything. Um, like Taoists, for instance, that it was completely naive to, to suggest that we could ever know all knowledge because it's not for us. It's yeah. for everything. Um, it's about everything. And so they didn't, they were like really, like their, their scientific capabilities were really highly advanced, but there was never kind of that attitude, at least. That attitude of we can know everything. Yeah, of like bringing it all together into like one discipline kind of thing. It was just the things that we know because we know them for the things we're doing, um, which was kind of a more interest, a really, um, a really interesting approach. But it meant that they had these really detailed observations of astronomy for centuries, dating from like 300, 300 BC to like the 16th century um, AD. So we, so we bring all of that together in the Middle Ages um, when you've got the emergence of Islam and kind of the like Islamic empires, mm. um, the Byzantine Empire and um, kind of Western Western Europe, like the what we would consider medieval Europe now, because mm. um, the Byzantines basically started putting everything together in codexes because they they were. This was one of the kind of first times that anyone other than the Romans were like out there making books. Other than like the original Roman Empire were out there kind of making books. Um, and the Byzantine Empire really kind of picked that up by um, spreading more. So they don't, it doesn't seem like they made any like massive developments in astronomy, but um, they started like teaching it more and cataloging it more and like creating this, like, repository of knowledge in these, like, monastic libraries. Mm. Um, and they would use, like, principles of astronomy to, like, teach monks to tell the time and stuff. Um, uh, like, there are a few different ways that they could tell, like, different sects of Christianity uh, decided when Easter was differently because they had different, like, astronomical ways of working out what date that was. Mm. Um, and it was because, yeah, they were, like, trying to spread this knowledge, at least among the church. Um in the Islamic world, on the other hand, um, they're going crazy with science. Oh boy, medieval—the scientific developments in the medieval world, in the medieval Islamic world are just like insane. This is where like everything we know comes from. I mean, this is where algebra came from. Yeah, it's just popping off. Um, it's so absolutely slamming. <laughs> We get excited over strange things on this podcast. Um, and everything. Yeah, popping off in regards to algebra. You're not going to hear that often. But, I mean, algebra was popping off. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. So, you see, kind of, as we're getting into, like, the 7th and 8th centuries, um, Islam starts to spread, and we enter the Islamic Golden Age. Um, where science just gets, just accelerates like tenfold. Um, they kind of take these like old systems of like calculation and stuff, um, stuff that kind of like the stuff that had come from India and stuff mm. and started like refining it. Um, the This was like a culture that was very much into at the time kind of cataloging all information and spreading all information um, rather than just like, uh, what the Byzantines and what the um, Europeans were doing more, which was kind of like just doing their information. Um, so they were like working on like, I guess, reforming things to kind of be more in line with their modern understanding because the um, dialogue between different like civilizations, especially in this era, it's starting to like really accelerate. Mm. Um, it doesn't seem like it. And I probably should have talked about this in the library episode as well, but like, there was massive interdisciplinary dialogue and within the same discipline dialogue, I guess, of yeah. every, like everyone was sharing information with everyone. No book was written that wasn't written because that person like had read a bunch of other books. Cause the thing that qualified you to be a writer was having read. Yeah. Like that was all it was. Um, so they're taking all of these things and they're like really defining them. For instance, they, First, the first major Muslim work of astronomy was, and I'm sorry, I'm going to mispronounce this, the Zij al-Sintind, S-I-N-D-H-I-N-D. 
um, which has like tables all kind of put together to calculate how the sun and the moon and all the planets that they knew about moved and everything. Yeah. Um, which was because I mean, by the time that they'd gotten to this point, the observations from like China alone were enough to predict anything that happened in the sky. Mm. Um, and then we kind of like in 850, they start to um, build on that a little bit more and start talking about, um, they release a book that tra- its title translates to a compendium of the science of, the, of stars written by someone named Al Fagani, um, which is just like, Again, it was just all of astronomy up until that point and yeah. built on it. Um, had things about how to better calculate the circumference of the Earth, how to better calculate the movements of the sun and the moon and stuff. Everything was just trying to take it and build it a little bit more and just refine it a little bit more. Um, and then again, like the next big development was just a slight recalculation to the way the Earth wobbles as it orbits. Yeah. Um, the next big thing is the phases of the moon. And then we get into this, uh, a we start to move kind of from the 11th century onwards away from a model that sees the earth in the center of the solar system to a model that sees the sun in the center of the solar system. Yeah. Um, and then... Which again, we knew a long time ago. Yeah. but and Just the fact that people are still arguing that the, the earth is flat is... Flat out astounding because, Stupid. yeah, we've just known it wasn't for so long. Yeah, there was, I don't know when specifically, but I don't definitely by the like 16th, 17th century, um, back when like Columbus and stuff was going, were, were like they were doing kind of like American coloniza- colonization. Mm. Um, like all those stories about how like Columbus thought was trying to prove the earth was round. Nobody thought the Earth was flat. And in fact, Columbus thought not only was it flat, but he thought it was smaller than everyone else did. He was the stupidest man ever. Yeah. Like, but we but we take these like formative figures, and not to, not to get on my soapbox too much, but like we take these like formative figures of like liberal theory, and we just kind of uncritically take their shit and listen to it. Um, which is why we have these ideas about how everyone didn't know anything. But, like, literally by the time, and this is kind of my main point, by the time you get to the medieval era, the people people can say how everything in the sky moves. Mm. They know everything there is to know about how the celestial bodies uh, operate, their effects on each other. I mean, people had known for long before then that the stars in the sky were probably just like other suns far away. I think that was suggested in the 5th century. Yeah. Like, we knew this stuff for so long. Mm. Um, so, actually, yeah, like, you, you said by the 16th century, you know, Columbus was still thinking it was flat, but somebody had figured out how wide the Earth was in like by the time we got to BC, so yeah. to AD, yeah. Well, I mean, again, the um, the book written in like eight hundred had those descriptions of all of the planets in the sky, and like, because yeah. that's the thing, astronomy like this doesn't work if you don't have a pretty good idea of what's going on, um, and like, sure we didn't know a lot of the whys because it wasn't until like Einstein came along that we knew like the theory of relativity and we knew why astronomy worked the way it did, why, mm. the way it does. Um, but everything up until God, I mean, really like Newtonian physics is like just further and further refining down into a more specific and more accurate form. The things that we'd known for centuries um, it wasn't until it wasn't until we because it wasn't until we had all that written down and we knew it all like back to front that we could find those extra patterns in it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, people didn't really know why a lot of things happened, but people knew how pretty much everything worked at that point. Yeah, exactly. And um, look, I, I'm going to talk a little bit about specifically um, navigation using the stars, but I want to preface this um, by saying that. Indigenous cultures all around the world, um, most notably um, shown with the with Polynesian cultures, with the the way that they managed to navigate the oceans. But just about any Indigenous nation understood how the stars moved and how they could navigate using that. 
I'm that's fucking good on them, honestly, especially those kind of cultures that were sailing the seas because fuck, that's scary to go out on on this on the open ocean, no land all around, be like, I'm confident enough in my ability to read the fucking heavens <laughs> yeah. that we won't die. Okay, look at, get yourself a globe, look at the size of the Pacific Ocean. Um, it's believed starting from Hawaii and moving out everywhere as far as the Americas, out to the side of Asia, and then bloody New Zealand and Indonesia. That's the area that um, the Polynesian people travelled simply with their knowledge of the sky being clouds and celestial bodies, their knowledge of currents, and the knowledge of which birds lived where. <laughs> that, those are the only things that they knew that could help them navigate. And they managed to navigate that entire patch of ocean, which is bigger than all of the land. Just bigger than all of the land yeah. on Earth. Um, and they've, they took that and just navigated it. They just knew how to get from place to place. Because, yeah, um, I mean, the, the other theory of like human evolution, that we came from Africa and Asia separately, mm. I mean... Even that would only say that, like, maybe two places in the furthest reaches of, like, one of the furthest continents from where they started, someone else had started there. This is still, like, even with the most absolutely conservative scientific theories, these Mm. are people that travelled the whole globe. Yeah. And so this is... And the way that they did that was quite literally, um, as far as astronomy goes, I'm going to focus more on the, the focus on the celestial bodies in the sky, um, they just memorised what the, what the sky looked like and what it would look like at certain times of the year at certain times of day. And so they could look at the sky, know that it is you know such and such season and know that, okay, this is what it should look like where I am. Based on how it's moved from there, that's where I am now. They and could just f- figure that out holistically. And wasn't this mostly passed down orally as well? Almost entirely. I don't think, I don't believe there is much at a written tradition for it at all. Oh wow! Um, we know most of it because it was it's still being passed down. Um, <sighs> Incredible. Yeah. So uh, this this brings me into how you actually do astronomy. Um, how do you navigate using the stars? So I'm going to talk a little bit about specifically how. Western knowledges do it, and then you can kind of work from there because this is what I have a written written record of and what my dumb brain can actually comprehend. Um, so this is what you'll need. You'll definitely want to be able to describe how to navigate by the stars so that you then know what the results that that, that will tell and how to get it wrong as well. Um, and this sort of informs what non-magical methods you can use. So let's start with the simple ones. How do you find north? How do you find south? So in our world, with our stars, uh, if you are in the northern hemisphere, to find north, you need to find the north star. So that's called Polaris. It's within one degree of the North Pole, so it will always appear within one degree of true north. Pretty amazing. Um, I just think that's absolutely wild that we found this one star that basically never moves. And we go in circles around the sun in circles on our own orbit. But see, and but that makes... That's the thing. Like, that, it, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense why they knew so much. Because, yeah. like, the North Star can only be always north if the Earth moves a very specific way. Yeah, exactly. And so they knew we turned around on an axis. They knew that we pointed a specific way. Um, but anyway, so to find the North Star, you need to find... Unless you specifically know where the North Star is, what your star map looks like. Oh, it's north. Look for the Big Dipper. Um, Once you've found the Big Dipper, imagine that you're too lazy to find a ladle and you need to pour soup out of your saucepan. Find those two stars that the the soup would run down. Yep. That's very descriptive. Sure. Yep. So find those two stars and follow that distance. Now, that space between those two stars, you need to extend that line by five times that distance. You've found the North Star. 
That's such a random fucking star. Yeah. How did... Who would even notice that? But that's the thing, is the entire set of constellations rotates almost perfectly around that specific star. And so wherever the Big Dipper appears in the sky, whichever direction it faces, it's always pointing towards that star exactly five times that length. Because I guess if you're drawing off star maps, eventually you realise they're just kind of all spinning around. Exactly. So that's that's how you find north. If you're looking for... Oh, yeah, and if you use a sextant, um, or you just <laughs> approximate... <laughs> Sex. <laughs> um, to, nice. <laughs> uh, if you're trying to find the angle... If you find the angle between the horizon and the north star, that is your latitude. That's That's how you find your latitude. It's exactly that far north. Huh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that works. Yeah, so if it's exactly on the horizon, you're on the equator. Huh. If it's exactly above you, then you are on the North Pole. Oh, yeah, Yeah. and I guess that's... And it's just varying degrees of that. You're just working with tangents. Damn. (laughs) I'm watching Lachlan's mind be blown the same way mine was when I was researching this. Because it just, it makes sense. It is so intuitive. But we just, it's not something we kind of consider anymore because we have maps and global positioning technology. We don't use that tradition and so we forget how simple it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess we had to work out where the equator was somehow. And remembering that those latitude maps are defined by us based on those measurements. Like, we did, we drew the measurements based on those those readings. But... Yeah, it's a pretty cool way to figure out where you are. And it really shows why everyone thought things were so, like, interrelated at the time. Because, I mean, the fact that that was the equator is just because, yeah, that spot of that, like, strip around the Earth is always kind of, has the same kind of relative relation to the sun. Yep. Um, And that, like, explains all of weather. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, if they, if people saw that, like, the way that they were getting around was... Also, it also could directly correspond to how warm things were. Then, like, it makes sense why people would be like, "Well, maybe there's some, maybe there's some patterns here." Yeah. Um, and if if you're in the north North Pole, so if if you're in the North Hemisphere, um, to find south, you need to find uh, find Orion. So find Orion. There is a line hanging down from the middle star of Orion's belt uh, of one moderately bright star one dim star, and one fuzzy star. That's called Orion's sword. And, uh, yeah. if, you, yeah. and if you continue, that sword points south. Uh, it just points to south on the ground, uh, or on the horizon, and it will be visible for about half of the year, and then for the rest of the year, it'll be visible only at specific points of night as it you know, crests the horizon. Oof, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a rough half of the year. Well, I mean, they still had north. They knew where north was. Yeah, you but just I mean, find north and go backwards. I'm just saying, if you'd been if you'd been only sailing for six months and you were so used to Orion just fucking being there, and then all of a sudden, oh my guys, Orion's not there. Guys, I can't find Orion. And like, yeah, you can just go the opposite of north, but like, you'd want Orion. You can't just take that risk. You're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, so that's how you find it in north. Um, the southern hemisphere, we actually don't have uh, any specific northern um, location, at least not one that we've kind of put in the, into common knowledge. Well, it's because everyone in the, um, in the southern hemisphere realised that everyone in the northern hemisphere was absolute fucking dog shit and didn't want to go there. <laughs> shit. Wrecked. Um, but they had a way to get south, so they got to come anyway. Fair. Um, yeah, so in, in the Southern Hemisphere, find the Southern Cross. Uh, be careful, there is a false cross. Uh, if you've ever looked up in the sky and seen the Southern Cross and then a bigger <laughs> Southern Cross, the big one's the fake one. Can that please be the intro to this episode? Just like, uh, welcome to Dungeon Deep Dive, and then just edit in, and be careful, there is a false cross. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so there's a false cross. Don't use that one. Use the smaller Southern Cross. Um, so find the, the long axis of the Southern Cross and you need to continue that 4.5 times the length of, the, of that long um, axis. 
Of course. If you continue that 4.5 times the length and then draw a line perpendicular to the horizon, you're at approximately south. Um, if you want to be more precise, there are actually two pointer stars which will cut a line through the southern, that, that line that you've drawn and then that point exactly is where south is. Huh. Fuck yeah. Me. So it's a little more calculation in the southern hemisphere, um, but it's still... I mean, if you've got an approximate way of measuring that, then you're still fairly intuitively getting it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and so with that, you can figure out every direction because you know where one direction is. Um, I mean, later in on they had dreams. compasses and stuff like that, but that's how you would figure it out based do, on that. Oh, do, like the band One Direction is in my dream is in my dreams, I meant. Bad. Like because Bad. they're... Cause, because I like One Direction so much. So almost all other methods of um, <laughs> figuring out um, navigation using a, astronomy required a great degree of maths or somebody to have done a great degree of maths before you. <laughs> um, I mean, with the exception of like the Polynesian cultures literally memorising what, what the skies would look like at certain times of the year, you just had to have a codex to figure this out. You had to have a book of the skies. Mm. Um, so I'm going to run through two other ways, um, which is uh, geographic position, um, which is probably how sailors were most likely figuring out where exactly on a globe they were. They would carry out a big book that said where certain stars were um, and what angles they were from wherever at what times of the year. So using these tables, they'd find out what the exact geographic position of a specific celestial body is at that time and day of the year. Then, using their um, sextant, um, they would figure out what angle that the, um, what angle that would be at. So, how far up in the sky that celestial body is. Mm-hmm. And using that, they can draw a circle on the map of these are the locations where I could be on Earth. Usually, they knew roughly where they were, which meant if they just departed from a certain country and a certain port, they knew they were in this approximate place. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess if you're if you're travelling by the ocean all the time, you have a pretty good idea of how long things take and how far you can go and stuff. Exactly, but to be to be precise and to figure out where exactly they were, they would do this three to five times, get a bunch of different circles, and then that would pinpoint to them exactly where they were going to be because that would be the only intersection point. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. It's, it's triangulation at its simplest. Um, it's literally how GPS works, except we do it three times. Yeah, um, and the difference with it is the one thing to be careful is we do it on a globe. Do it on a globe because if you do it on a map, the map will distort the way you look at geography. Euclidean geometry. Um, uh, shapes are different I'm on a curved so plane. Lost. Maths, man. I just anyway. So that's it's just because shape, be the most shit sailor ever. Shapes shapes aren't uniform if you draw because they because you flatten out the surface of a sphere. Yeah, it just means it means it just means that like your square is not actually going to be a square. So remember that, guys. Hey guys, hey yeah. guys, this isn't a square. This is a re- this is just a weird chunk of ocean. Re- yep. Remember. <laughs> um, remember. That's what Euclid said. That uh, that was actually all Euclid said. It was the only thing he ever said. He he remember was silent. this isn't a square. He was silent for 40 years and he drew a square <laughs> on a map and he said, "Remember guys, this isn't a square. This is a weirdly shaped bit of ocean." And that was the that was it. He closed his mouth and, and he then, didn't open it again. And then there's the lunar distance method, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, this is how you find your longitude. Um, you find the moon and, the st- and a star that's near the ecliptic. Now, the ecliptic is basically any lot of the stars that are on the same plane that you get when you draw uh, a, a flat plane between where the Earth is and where the sun is and how it rotates. So that plane, the 2D plane that it would rotate around, where the one axis is the same. Oh, as in like if you got a 2D representation of the... Yeah. Of like the solar system and then kept that going out in still 2D in all directions. Yeah, if you The ones that, that would be in slice, that thin slice. Yes. And fit on that page. Exactly. Okay. Those stars. So if you find any of those stars, measure... Where the moon is and like its angle from the horizon and whatever star on the ecliptic, and then you can measure the angle between them. And uh, remember, if you do find a star, it's a myth that if you touch them, their mothers won't feed them. So it's okay. For, you can pick them up while you do this. Um, yeah, so you measure the angle between them 
Uh, this will be constant around the world. Everywhere that is currently seeing this star and the moon will have the same angle. Right? What? Yeah. Sorry, what? Everywhere on Earth that currently is seeing that star and the moon will see them the same angle apart. Oh, because they're on that same plane. Because they're on the same plane. Yep, exactly. Yeah, obviously. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) then you visit a pre-prepared book um, based on – that basically has the positions of the moon um, and of the stars according to Greenwich Mean Time. Then you use the local time that it currently is, compare it against that, and you can see how far you are from Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, so from Greenwich. Sorry. How old is the concept of Greenwich fucking meantime then? Really quite old. Really? Yeah. Um, essentially, like it wasn't necessarily Greenwich, but modern, modern day we use Greenwich. But the idea is from a fixed point where they measured all their stars and you knew how far you were longitudinally from that place. Oh, as in like... You mean whatever that culture's equivalent of Greenwich Mean Time is? Yeah, sorry. Not uh, actually the time that it was in the city that eventually became Greenwich. No, but we use Greenwich now as a standard internationally because that is zero. Well, it's because that is where... Yeah, that's where the person who decided what zero is wanted it to be. Yeah, that's that's where the people who decided to take guns to shoot everyone in the world set, set up their yeah. big solar um, observatory. Um but, but I guess it's zero now. Yes, it's zero now. Um, and that's basically how you find your longitude. So with that, you know, based on the North Star or based on that location for South, you know, like what your latitude is. And you can figure out your longitude based on what the time is now and what the time would be at your location where they wrote your book. That's fantastic. I'm so sorry to get distracted, but I am just reading the Wikipedia entry for Greenwich Mean Time. <laughs> And apparently it's not even good. It doesn't even work. The, it, it's so wrong yeah. that you actually can't use GMT for technical purposes because uh, noon in Greenwich Mean Time actually isn't when the sun's in the... It's the, like the one place in the world where it's not when the sun's in the middle of the sky. Yeah. It's when the sun's in the middle of the sky, give or take 16 minutes. Oh, Yeah. And that's our standard. So yeah. this is... I'm going to take that beautiful segue. It's the worst place we could have picked. For I'm accuracy, so sorry. For accuracy, we're going to have to correct for some things. So first thing you have to correct for is the moon's diameter. Because you know how sometimes the moon gets really big? Yeah? Yeah. I can think of an equivalent for sure. <laughs> Wink. You know how sometimes the moon looks really big in the sky? Um, well, that's because sometimes it is bigger in the sky. And we measure from the edge, so you've got to correct for how, like, what cycle of the moon you're in. Um, yeah, everyone remember that the tides come in and out as the moon grows and shrinks. Close enough. Um, so then you've got to adjust for the refraction of light through the atmosphere. So the lower the moon is uh, in our viewpoint, uh, so lower it is in the horizon the bigger it's going to look because light refracts differently. Um, So you've got to adjust for that as well. Uh, And then you've got to have an accurate time where you are. So if you don't have a timepiece, for every hour that you are wrong, you are 15 degrees out. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but look up what 15 degrees is in longitude. That is a big fucking strip of the earth. So if you're even as much as, you know, four minutes out, you're out a whole degree. Yeah, that's... Again, that's why Greenwich is fucking stupid (laughs) because noon is give or take 16 minutes. Yeah, so you're already giving or taking four degrees on the map. Sorry, hold on. So yeah, how many degrees is it per... Four minutes per degree. Yeah, so that is... Sorry. Um, So four degrees. Let's say we're on the equator because that's where the difference is going to be the biggest. Yeah, you keep going. I'll get you the number of cool. what that is. Um, yeah, so that's there, there is a whole bunch of stuff that could go really, really wrong. And so unless you've got a lot of maths pre-prepared and a perfect timepiece, then the only way to know where you are on Earth is by memorizing the stars. It's just memorize the stars and what it will look like at any given point. And then you can do the maths or that kind of 
roughly equate where you are on Earth based on what's showing up at what part of the sky. Yeah, I, I looked it up. Did you say it was four degrees they would four be de- off? Four degrees if, for every for 16, 16 minutes. minutes. Um, that is, but that's like more than 400 kilometers. That's almost 500 kilometers. Yeah, that's a long distance. Well, cause, yeah, because longitude is plus 180, to, is, goes from negative 180 to positive 180. Uh, yeah, so the circumference of the Earth is 40,075. Um, divide there that is by 360. 360 degrees in longitude, so divide that by 360 is 111.3 kilometers, uh, and then times that by 4 is... Sorry, it is... Yeah, it's 445. 445. So, yeah, um, if you were to measure from Greenwich, you could be as much as 445 kilometers off. Holy shit. The whole of England is not 400 kilometers wide. LeMayo. <laughs> you could miss England entirely. <laughs> could you imagine? Could you fucking Sorry. imagine if that's where they were measuring from when they were trying to get around the giant fucking Pacific Ocean? <laughs> Nobody would have gotten anywhere. I mean, like, the whole UK from my sort of... I'm trying to get the scale lined up. The whole of the UK is only about 600 kilometres wide. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so stupid. So that difference of 16 minutes means the world. It really just goes to show that the only reason uh, we listen to the British is just because... They killed all the most people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they really Can't didn't confirm. know what they were doing. <laughs> if you go 500 k's east of London, you skip Belgium. <laughs> Could you're you imagine? In, you're in they... Hamburg. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, no, nobody other than the Europeans could, um, other than the British, very specifically, could <laughs> fuck up navigation that badly. Oh my god, no wonder they couldn't fucking find anything when they were trying to colonize everyone because they literally didn't know how to navigate. <laughs> anyway, so what you got to consider as far as how navigation happens as far as navigating by the skies um, is look at what other common methods. Are people writing books mathematically of how to calculate these certain things or are you relying a little more on that visual memory of what the sky is going to look like? Um, it also does rely on you and your world building, just knowing if, you know, is there a North Star? Is there a, a Southern constellation? Does your planet rotate on its axis? I mean, hell, maybe if it's if magic's so intense, maybe the sky's different all the time and it adds like a whole other layer of complexity to astronomy when you have to like navigate using the stars, but using the stars a little differently. And then uh, you've got to look at things like do you have one moon or do you have multiple? Because that's going to affect whether the moon appears a couple of different times. And the other thing is, and I think because you mentioned oral versus writing, that mm. the main difference there, it seems from, from the research that we've done, that would be really just like kind of the function of it. Like mm. if uh, it's oral, you can only really recount so much. So it's mostly the like practical side of it. Whereas if it's written, you have a little bit more time to develop those ideas and a little bit more like way to like kind of just look at them so that's typically a group that's going to be more about broadly predicting everything rather than predicting the things that they need to predict in that moment yeah and you've just got to know those rough method methods so that you can figure out are you trying to find north or are you trying to find your exact location on a map how do i do that and uh yeah what are the sort of margins of error for that so if you're mm. out by 16 minutes Make sure you're not out by 500 k's. Yeah. Hey, Danae, what did you want to talk about? So I thought, my God, you guys are the worst. Sorry. We I'm are the, the one worst. keeping us on track. Choo choo, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to take us into, I guess, a bit of an example about one celestial body that's very popular that will probably crop up in your world because it's probably the celestial body that has the most myths and traditions and and what have you attached to it it is the moon Woo! so i want to talk about lunar phases and interpretations today got any any moon fans in the house tonight (laughs) (laughs) anybody like Tides. Anyone here from the moon tonight? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, all right. So <laughs> we're going to talk about a little bit about our calendars and how you can use celestial bodies to interpret time. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, menstruation. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So the moon basically has eight phases. It goes all the way from new moon where you can't see it in the sky to full moon or obviously you f- see the full disc. To breaking dawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then back to new moon again. Man, I really hated the book where the moon wanted to fuck that baby. <laughs> 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 All right. So the moon is basically divided into eight phases. New moon, waxing crescent, first quarter, which obviously you see the first quarter, Waxing gibbous, full moon, waning gibbous, third quarter, waning crescent, new moon again, right? First thing I like to point out is new moon doesn't mean that it's disappeared. It just means that it's appearing in the day rather than the night. And so you can't see it as well. Nice. Basically. Um, So our months. Some people that are misinformed think that because the lunar cycle lasts about a month that we derived our months from the moon that's not true we drive our months from the sun um we use a solar calendar specifically the gregorian calendar uh which tracks time using the tropical or solar years and basically that measures the length for time between the two vernal equinoxes or basically for the earth to rotate around the sun once so many people say that the vernal equinox is the first day of spring essentially and as we know a solar year comes to 365 days, 5 hours, 48 minutes, 46 seconds, yep. right? And we have used that, specifically the Gregorian calendar from 1751 when the UK basically told its colonies, hey, use the Gregorian calendar now. And everyone did because, as we know, they were really good at killing people. Mm. The lunar calendar is used in some cultures, And it can definitely be used for your own civilization. The lunar calendar will measure the time from new moon to new moon as one month rather than looking at, you know, a whole revolution around the sun and then dividing from there. So basically as the moon orbits the earth, its position changes like relative to the earth and the sun and it appears to go through phases. Although, as we know, of course, it doesn't actually. It's just how we can see it. Yeah, that's just how light is reflected. Well, ju- it's just how the shadow of the Earth appears on it at night. Oh, that makes more sense. I was wondering why... I thought it was such a weird coincidence that when Neil Armstrong went up there, they had the whole thing. I, I was know. like, why do they... Lucky. Why? Yeah, wh- what if they'd gotten up there and there was only half there? What if they got up there and it was new moon? It, ju- it just wasn't there. Yeah, what would you do? <laughs> go go to the moon during the day like some kind of fucking idiot? No one would be able to see you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> So a new moon occurs once every 29.5 days and that's called a synodic month, according to astronomers. And sorry, all a, a what month? A synodic. Synodic month, okay. No, sorry, I legitimately misheard you. <laughs> I was like, where's the fucking joke, Carly? <laughs> <laughs> fucking spare me. Um, all lunar calendars that are created will be based off this synodic month rather than the months that you'll find on a solar calendar. So that's one question you can ask yourself when going into your world is, um, hey, how do we actually define the span of time and years, blah, blah, blah. What celestial body are our calendars based on and why? Mm. Um, The next point I wanted to bring up were natural phenomena that celestial bodies will interfere with or influence. And astronomers in your world um, can be starting to discover this or already know this. They could be vilified for their discoveries or glorified for them. Um, So tides, for example, on Earth are basically created because the sun and the moon have a gravitational pull that makes the water in the oceans bulge. It basically pulls the... It makes big bulge. (laughs) It pulls the water in the oceans upwards towards the sun and the moon, which creates high tides in areas of the earth facing the moon and the opposite side. So then the water drains away at the same time in the other parts of the world to fill those bulges, creating low tides. Hmm. But instead of like, you know, a perfectly shaped basin, think of it more like water sloshing around in like a really weird shape because, you know, we have continents and varying ocean depths. I'm so glad it's you not specified consistent. that for us. Like just in, instead of thinking a perfect basin, just think of a, a shape that's weird. You're welcome. 
Um, now, some people, poor little plebs, believe that the moon's gravitational force therefore also affects humans because we're about 70% fluid. But the fact is that there's still too small an amount of water in a human relative to experienced tides. Wait, are you saying there's more water on the planet than in me? Than in a single human being? I am. I'm pretty sure I heard I'm 70% water, so that's... There should only be 30% of the water left. Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm just saying I should have tides too. I feel like I've earned it. You feel discriminated against because you don't experience tides? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to sue the moon. But, Lachlan, you do because you do develop a bulge sometimes. And I do do it whenever I'm closer to the moon. Hmm. There you go. You're welcome. (laughs) I'll I'll leave you to ponder that. But that's, I guess, an example of how people can mistake, I guess, really natural things and start linking things that are dumb. Speaking of linking things that are dumb, oh can I God. link this to a dumb thing I heard earlier? Where's the fucking joke? Th- it isn't. It's just a thing I, a thing I heard earlier. I was talking to a friend and apparently um, when you go into space, just like... Oh, yeah. Um, on a Saturday. You actually kind of... Do get a bigger dick uh, because without the without gravity operating on you, apparently when astronauts get an erection, it's like without the force of gravity and like the atmosphere holding it down, like the pressure of it is so much that it's like agonizingly painful. Um, and they legitimately thought that it was going to like burst through their suit or whatever. Um, when people first started going into space, uh, they, you also get taller, but that's less interesting. I thought the the, your, the bigger dick was better. Oh, but. I'm Neil Armstrong. Have a look at my magnum dong. Yeah, uh-huh. right. Janet, I've really got blue balls. I'm telling you, it's fucking painful. <laughs> <laughs> Actually true for once. Um, so let's talk about, I guess, some other weird things associated with the moon, mm. right? Periods. There's been this belief forever that menstruation is linked to the moon somehow, right? Sounds right to me. Incorrect. Oh. In fact, <laughs> in fact, menstruation and menses actually come from Latin and Greek words meaning month, which is menses, and moon, which is many. The lunar cycle is 29.5 days, right? And the average menstrual cycle is 29 days. Although... It is normal to have a menstrual cycle between 24 and 38 days. Like, So, you know, the cycles are basically equal in length, right? But they, mm. they don't sync. There's been studies done pretty recently, actually, because it's actually still like a pretty commonly held myth that, that the lunar cycle and the menstrual cycle are somehow linked. But um, there's a really popular period, app, period tracking app called uh, Clue that a lot of women use nowadays. And they did a study recently for 1.5 million women and they tracked 7.5 million periods and they found it didn't sink at all. Uh, And the data scientist there, Dr. Marisa Wheel, said um, that period start dates also fall randomly throughout the month regardless of the lunar phase. Mm. And they did that study because so many women were asking them to add a lunar tracking feature to their app because they thought that it was relevant. Oh, wow. Because it's such a persistent myth. Yeah. That's wild. I love that there's a whole, at at the very least, one study, a very large study, Mm. funded entirely on the basis that people keep asking us to add a lunar tracker and it's bullshit. Let us show that it's bullshit. Moon equals blood. And it's so weird because, like, of anyone, who is best equipped to know that that's not true than the people who not only are having the menstruation cycle, but are also using an app to catalogue it? But, like, it, it's it's insane that that myth caught on as much as it did. Absolutely. Well, I guess you think about the moon, too, as um, linked to a lot of, I guess, religious uh, or, or otherwise festivals and stuff throughout history, too. Like, like uh, China uses... A lot of lunar holidays. Mm. Chinese New Year is the first day of the first lunar month. Mm. That's why it's not on normal New Year. or well, not normal New Year. Western New Year. The Dragon Boat Festival, that's the fifth day in the fifth lunar month. Three guesses for what their double seventh and double ninth holidays are. And then I guess you've also got like, if you look at like Wiccans and like witchcraft, blah, blah, blah. There's so many things like Costas spell out 
full moon because it's like more energizing so like I did a little bit of research and here is the basic meanings of the eight phases of the moons and like how it can influence your spells or or like your body or whatever you ready yeah new moon equals new beginnings okay pretty obvious cool waxing crescent that's next one intention first quarter decision making waxing gibbous refinement full moon is the release and sealing of intention. Waning gibbous is gratitude. Third quarter's forgiveness. Waning crescent surrender. And new moon into new beginnings again. Hmm. So there you go. Yes, Lachlan, I can just see you fucking thinking but, of something stupid to say. Well, I'm, I'm, first of all, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> Second of all, it just doesn't even make sense. Like, what is adding intention to your spell? And what's the difference between intention and releasing intention i'll go into this a little bit next episode oh well never mind stick around till bloody next week guys so here's i guess the questions i want you to take away from this and that's um what type of calendar system does your civilization use based on which celestial body because it has to be based on something are astronomers in your world vilified or glorified you know are their discoveries welcome or are they seen as heretical and what myths or beliefs do your people have about how, for example, the moon affects other phenomena? And how does that inform society? Yeah. All things you can take away mm. for today. And I think it's I think it's also important to remember that the answers to all of those questions are gonna always come from like the same sorts of sources of information. So you're gonna find people with like different answers to all of those, but only kinda different answers to all of those. They're also basing it on the same world. So keep that in mind. Absolutely. So unless we have anything else to add, I think we will move along into our little scenario. Um, yeah, I had one more thing to add. I just wanted to say, man, the worst the worst Twilight book was the one where the moon wanted to fuck that baby. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Welcome back. So what we've had a look at is just a little bit more world building style on what you can do when you look up at the sky in your games. So um, usually what we know is you look up at the sky and you see, you know, zero to one moons. That's just the regular amount of moons for us. But in in our galaxy, that's actually quite unusual. There are so many planets out there with just this enormous number of moons. So what you can look at in your world is... Imagine your planet has two moons. Um, So what you can do with that is actually, that will mean that moons are going to be some of the biggest things to follow when you're navigating, when you're telling the time and the time of year. So you can probably assume that one of those is going to be used for the calendar, that you're going to be using one of those regularly as that's our lunar month. Mm. Um, And that other one will be noted in the sky, but it could be as as recognised as our moon is in Western culture, where we kind of, we know it's there, we know it's got a cycle. We don't know exactly how it works, though. And it would, it would also make measurements based on it a lot more accurate, because you'd have something to really directly compare it to. Yeah, we've got to remember that um, when you look at the moon, that is something that is so much closer than any other celestial body that it makes measurements really easy. Um, that's part of how we figured out the diameter of the Earth is by looking at the moon and how big it was at any given moment. Um, and so what you can figure out from there is now that you've got two parts of the sky that you can work off, you can actually tell the time of year just by looking at which moons there are. You can uh, find two spots in, in the sky and navigate off them if you know what time of the lunar cycle you're in. So that's two-thirds of your navigation sorted, if you know where the sun was, then you've got three bodies. You have pinpointed where you are on the Earth. It's really quite a simple way to, to navigate. Yeah. And that can solve a lot of the problems that, that your characters would have if they weren't you know, in, a, in a world with one moon, if they weren't trained in that navigation. It becomes a lot easier to triangulate where you are and uh, figure out what time of year it is just by looking up at the sky. Yeah, maybe in that case it actually would be something that everyone could do quite easily. If yeah. it was something that you could just kind of look at. Yeah, because if you knew it was this month, which meant that your other moon was offset by this much, 
then you would know what time of night night it is by looking at the moons. Yeah, some variation of like a sundial would be all you really needed and then you've got kind of exact coordinates if you did it right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, just a little bit of world building there, an idea that you can take as having two moons purely for the convenience of it, really. Yeah. It makes timekeeping in your world so simple. And unique in a way, because like all of our time has always been based on just one thing. So, like, your party's, your party's going to get in there, and it's, like, such a simple change for you as a DM, but your party's going to get in there and be like, whoa, this magical world. But it's just, like, there's another time. rock in the sky. Yeah, in that exact voice. That's the accent. Yeah. The Babylonian accent. Yeah. <laughs> the accent from the Tower of Babel, actually. Yeah, the reason that um, the reason that God fractured all the languages was actually just because it sounded really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and with God. that, thank you for listening for another week. Oh god, this is this is the language I made. No, let's let's let let's make them forget that one. <laughs> That's not going on my permanent record. That's so my if, god you wanna, voice. if you wanna catch us, then uh, <laughs> go to the Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at, at Dungeon Deep Dive or email us at deepdivednc at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week, cunts. <laughs> <laughs> Humanity spent millennia upon millennia seeking answers to their questions through bizarre and occult methods that left them in the dark as ever. Now, in this golden age of knowledge, people no longer have to look at frankly incomprehensible omens, but rather make rational decisions based on peer review research and the scientific method. That being said, large swathes of people aren't doing that anymore. And here at Imogen Harrison Predict the Future, we've decided to lean in. People just like you email in questions like, should I break up with my loving partner? Should I make a major career change? I feel like I can constantly hear a heartbeat underneath my floorboards. What's up with that? And comedian Imogen. And writer Harrison. We'll look at some tea leaves or the moon or whatever and we'll tell you what to do. And you'll do it. Without question. Imogen and Harrison predict the future. We have a vision. You'll love it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.